happy Saturday. It's June 17th, 2023, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker in London. And I'm Michael Haney in New York City. We are two of your airmail editors that are here to maximize your summer. Ooh, I like that. Maximize your summer. It's like 90 degrees here in London. There's no air conditioning to be found anywhere. I'm just laying naked on the floor of my house recording this podcast with you. Whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa. Kidding, listeners. Good thing the camera's turned off. I don't know. It would be not safe for work to do that. The camera's totally off. No need to get HR involved, Michael. No. This is a very hot issue, Michael. It's about to get sweaty. It's about to get sweltering. Where shall we begin? It's very hot. I mean, I'll get to that in a moment. But first up, we're going to start with something. It's a hot dish. If you're a fan of great food, you no doubt remember the spotted pig. For 16 years, it was one of New York's hottest and most acclaimed restaurants after management was accused of sexual misconduct. However, it closed up. But now, the building that housed it in the West Village is home to a new restaurant in Allen Richmond has a report on that. Then, speaking of restaurants, Bruce Bozzi is going to be joining us. Bruce is the host of Table for Two, Airmail's other podcast, our brother-sister podcast, where he regularly sits down for a meal with a friend. And this week, he'll tell us all about his recent chat with Rita Wilson. And finally, Linda Wells, the editor of Airmail Look, our health and beauty publication, will tell us how it has come to pass that we are living in the era of the butt. Yes, that's right, the era of the butt. Where would you like to begin, Ashley, on this hot and steamy day with a hot and steamy issue? I think we should start with Linda Wells. Linda is the founding editor of Allure magazine, which she edited for 25 years. She is also the beauty and wellness columnist for Airmail and the editor of Airmail Look. My work wife, welcome Linda Wells. Hello. All right, Linda, baby got back. Well, it's the era of the butt. The official year of the butt, and this is official, was 2014. And that is when everything coalesced. Nicki Minaj had Anaconda and Jennifer Lopez had Booty and Kim Kardashian had that paper magazine cover that they said would break the internet. And it actually did for a minute. It was shot by Jean-Paul Goud and it was her butt in all its splendor. So everything became a moment in 2015, but this has not abated. We are still in the thick of the butt era. And if you have any doubts, all you have to do is go to a beach or look at Instagram because people are not covering up their derrieres. You've got Sharon Stone taking a selfie. I mean, of course, we know the whole Kardashian thing, but there's Kate Hudson. There's Jason Momoa in a loincloth. It's a lot. Yeah, I'm definitely not showing mine off, Linda. As I read your story, I thought I have gotten away for so many years of my life under the ignorance is bliss format where I've just not looked back there. But you're telling me now I need to. I need products. I need surgery. What do we need? How do we get the best butt ever? We don't need anything because I totally agree with you. If it's behind me, I can't see it. It doesn't exist. But here's what people are getting. I'm not saying you need it. The Brazilian butt lift is still hugely popular and it is neither Brazilian nor a lift. It involves liposuction where they take out fat from the waist, the abs, the thighs, wherever, and then inject it in the butt area so that you have a smaller waist and a bigger butt. So that's still going strong. Now, the twist of that is that it's your fat cells that are injected. So if you gain weight, your butt gets bigger. And if you lose weight, your butt gets smaller. So it is subject to the vacillations of the rest of your body. So there's that. And then there are all these new products for the butt. Like who would think that we would need particular masks and care for that area, but they're taking off. They're really, really successful. Basic question. When you say mask for the butt, 
Am I supposed to like lay on my stomach for an hour while that works? Like, is it a sheet mask? What are we talking about here? It's not a sheet mask. Is it a Lone Ranger mask? Yeah, all right. Sorry, Michael. Okay. We're in a different atmosphere entirely. I'll just check out again. You ladies continue on there. <laughs> no, no, it's a good one though. I wish there were one of those for me. It is a creamy mask that you put on that you leave on. Maybe actually you don't lie down. Maybe you stand up and like do some housework or you could do your leg lifts or something while you have this on your nether regions. But it's supposed to get rid of acne. Who knew there was that thing on the back there? But get rid of any of the issues that you have on that side. So one of the great successes in the beauty industry right now is a product called Sol de Janeiro Brazilian Boom Boom Cream. So it is a moisturizer, but it also has caffeine in it. And it says it's supposed to firm your bum, but it doesn't really do that for very long because nothing can. Okay, that's too bad. So am I better off like going to the gym? Like how important is exercise here? Like Linda, you're not only a beauty expert, you know, this world of wellness like nobody else. Is exercise targeted at the posterior an alternative way to go about this? Or does the is the Brazilian butt lift really the only thing to get you that effect? I mean, you can exercise, certainly you can do squats, but you will also know that you can do squats until the cows come home and it's not going to make an enormous difference. And I think that most of the people that we see in the world who have teeny tiny waists and great big butts for the most part have had something done because because you can't usually have a tiny waist and a big bum. People tend to gain weight evenly throughout their body. So that look is something that people are asking doctors for and they're getting it. In terms of exercise, sure, you can do your squats, you can do your glutes. There are all these great glute classes and things and Pilates and so on, but it's only going to do so much. Good to know. So a related fashion question, but for those of us who aren't quite there yet for this summer, maybe summer 2024, fingers crossed, please tell me that like full coverage swimsuits are still acceptable on the beach. I say yes, because I agree with you. I'm not in interested in seeing a bear butt, mine or anybody else's, frankly, on the beach. Even Jason Lois. Ladies? Yes. <laughs> just say, hey, just talking for the guys in the room here. Is this trend? Is this 99% women? Any men getting these enhancements, Linda, that you know? Because usually things cross over, as we've seen in the beauty field, like, like men start getting injections, blah, blah, blah. Is it just asking for a friend? Just curious. I do think that there is a kind of reverence for the bubble butt for men. But it isn't that same kind of, let's have a tiny waist and a big butt. But there's a sort of appeal of the round, firm posterior. Linda, we need Isaac on here. I know. Isaac Calpito has the best butt I know. This is the guy, oh Isaac, who's God. a friend of ours, does Torch by Isaac. It's ridiculous. He is a phenomenon. He's a specimen. He's fantastic. And his class, actually, Torch by Isaac, is a fantastic butt workout. Now, again, I don't know what it's going to do in terms of really changing your body visually, but it's a very effective. It's really, I mean, if you want to get your things to be a little firmer and less jiggly, that's a good way to go. Worth a shot. But one of the things that happened in 2014 was this beginning of the Belfie and the Belfie is the butt selfie. And that's where the person taking the selfie looks behind her shoulder, but you're getting the view of her either naked or very briefly clothed rear end. And so this is a really interesting thing. I spoke with a woman who wrote a book called Butts, a Backstory, Heather Radke, and she said it puts the butt and the face in the same frame. So they almost become equal. And I think that that's an interesting concept that these two things are gaining kind of attention in the same place on Instagram. So you're telling me maybe that I can just give up on my face and all of its associated dissatisfactions and just focus on my butt instead. Easy breezy. Right? So much better. Simple. Thank you so much, Linda. Love this story. Thank you very much, Michael and Ashley.
Thank you. Thanks for having our back. Take care. Michael, we have a lot of work to do. I'm not going to ask you any questions about your butt because I feel like, again, HR issue. But let's just say I've not been using any products on mine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to seamlessly transition here to... So here's my segue. As Linda notes in her story this week, a lot of women, when they get these alterations on their butts, they have to be careful that they're not getting injections, that it's getting fat because they sit on their butt. And where else you do that but a restaurant? And Alan Richmond is here with a great story that you edited, Ashley. Oh, I love Alan. I mean, Alan takes us back and forward at the same time in the issue this week. Michael, I know you used to go to the Spotted Pig because I saw you there. If you lived in New York City in the aughts, the village, the Spotted Pig was a place that was always on the circuit, had one of the best burgers. April Bloomfield was the cook. And so, yeah. You and I saw each other there. I'm sure not in the upstairs room, but down in the bar. <laughs> yeah, for the record, the show's hot, but it's not that hot, okay? We were not in the upstairs room. <laughs> but this is the thing. So for a certain period of time, the Spotted Pig opened in 2004, and it was the hottest restaurant in Manhattan. And Michael, you and I used to go there, and I'm going to tell you, it was not for the blue cheeseburgers, because I know you and I don't like those. And it was not for the nudie, which was fine. But again, not that tasty. There's better pasta elsewhere. But it was for the scene. That place was always packed. And that was because April Bloomfield, the chef, and Ken Friedman, who is the restaurateur, who has since been Me Too'd, canceled, what have you, they knew how to create a great scene and a great vibe. And so that restaurant for 16 years was among the hottest places to be. So... That being said, it's a new day has dawned. After sitting empty for two years, the building was purchased by restaurateur Matt Abramchik and some of his partners, and they have renamed it and reconfigured it as the Golden Swan. Alan Richman, the former restaurant critic for GQ, who has won 16 James Beard Awards and also is one of my favorite people to email with, is joining us to tell us all about it. Welcome, Alan. Alan, Michael and I have been reminiscing about our days at the Spotted Pig. Let's just say we used to go a lot. Were you also a fan? Oh, nobody in New York that I know of didn't love the Spotted Pig, except the people who were victims of it later on. It was something that we hadn't seen in New York. It was intimate, intimate. It was mob. It was uncomfortable. It was terrible to sit down and try to eat there. People were running all over you, and it was great. April Bloomfield, who you know about, she was cooking the food, and she's terrific. And by the way, she's going to open a new restaurant in Brooklyn very soon. We've got your next column all set then. All right. She was also implicated in the scandal, shall we say, that caused the shutdown of the, in the end, of the spotted pig. But her role in it was passive, not active. Just that she was accused of not doing enough to stop it. It really was one of the most influential restaurants of the 21st century here in New York City. Is it fair to say that? Yes, absolutely fair. It was, there was nothing like it. We hadn't seen it. We had think maybe people called their own restaurants gastro clubs, but they weren't gastro clubs. This was a gastro pub. This had the kind of food that you would get in a gastro pub in England, I believe. Ashley, you're a better expert on that than I am, but I think it did. And you just wanted to be in there. It was just so wonderful until it became not. So, Alan, in 2017, there was an explosive article in The New York Times about accusations of sexual harassment and all kinds of bad behavior that was going on at the Spotted Pig. And by 2020, the restaurant had shuttered. Then it sat empty for two years. What happened since? I think to the building itself, nothing, except that the people who were involved in this were, for the most part, out of the business. They were sort of forced by public opinion to leave the business. That included Ken Friedman, included Mario Batali, this a fabulous chef, by the way, and they were all gone. And it was it was it was sad for the city. It was sad for them. It was sad for the people who were abused. It was from being one of the most exciting and vibrant and alive restaurants in New York. It was gone. And I think it's missed. I missed it. I was there when I was getting in line with everybody else. 
I tried to drop Michael's name. It didn't do me any good. I still went to the end alone. That's hardly true, Alan. Should have used mine, Alan. Should have used mine. Yeah, I remember many nights with you upstairs there, Alan, where you smuggling in bottles of wine. It's a fantastic place. So what's happening now? It's been re- reinvented. Let's put it that way. I don't think the new place, even though it looks like a gastropub again from the outside, it really isn't a gastropub, in my opinion. Not that I'm Ashley's the expert in that. She comes from the land of gastropubs, so she could chime in and tell me if I'm right or wrong. But it's going to be downstairs. It's going to be a very crowded pub. I was in there. It's just as crowded as it used to be, just as uncomfortable to sit there and eat as it used to be. I remember Frank Bruni of the Times, who raved about the food, raved about the place, and gave it only a okay rating because he was so uncomfortable in the place. And it's going to be lovely. Now, upstairs, it's just totally different. It has nothing to do with what, what came before. It's a pretty posh set of small rooms with expensive furnishings and a more conventional menu. When I was there, they hadn't started serving their meals there, so I have no idea if the upstairs meals lived up to the hope we have for them. So, Alan, who's behind it? Who's the chef and who's the team behind it these days? Matt, I can't pronounce his last name. Ashley, you know him better than I do. How do you pronounce his last name? I call it Matt Abramchik. This is the first time I've heard it said aloud. He's the owner. He's a guy who has been in the restaurant business as an investor for many years. He seems incredibly smart. He's quite nice. He's quite enthusiastic about the place. I mean, there's no reason not to think it's going to be a success. I only tasted the food downstairs, the pub food, which is actually not really pub food. It's a little higher class than that. And who's the chef, Alan? A fellow named Doug Brixton who has worked for Drew Nipporn for quite a few years. And his last thing spent before this was at the Targe, just before it closed. He has a lot of experience. And we just have to hope for the best, the food. You never know how good food in any place is going to be until you get there and taste it. And I had the pub food, which was okay. I thought it needed a little refinement. And the upstairs food wasn't ready yet when I went. Things to be discussed. I mean, Matt Abramchik's had a kind of a slate of successes on his hands. I mean, I used to live in Tribeca, so I would go to Tiny's in the bar upstairs, which was right around the corner from my apartment. That was a great place. Like he gets that combination of having a great scene and good food and being kind of a gathering place for the community without the sexual harassment, of course. And so I'm optimistic, Alan, that this is going to be a new hotspot in the West Village yet again. I hope so too, because there was nothing like it in New York before. And then it certainly is missed. I mean, Every night there was a line outside the door, people waiting to get in. The only people who ever got in with a reservation were celebrities, which is a little bit annoying, but okay, that's the way it works in New York. And if not, you just sat in line till they stood in line till they called you. And everybody was willing to do that. That's how good it was. Alan, while I've got you, I've got one important question. You're a man who likes a good steal. It's summertime. I'm sure you're drinking something, some good wine right now. Do you have a cheap, inexpensive, quaffable wine you'd recommend for people this summer? Well, of course, because I'm cheap, as you well know. And the number one choice I would make, if you want a crisp, quaffable wine, you want a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. They're really so inexpensive. They're so good. They almost never will let you down. Now, I always would throw out a second wine and get in trouble for it called Riesling, because nobody but me likes Riesling. But if you can find a Riesling, even Michael is sneering at me. Riesling's the great wine of Germany. If you can find one with the words either Trocken, well, just look for Trockener. And if you see that, it will be a dry wine. It will not be sweet. And maybe that'll make you happy. Great. Thank you. Alan, thank you so much. Can't wait to see you soon. Get over to London. I'd like to. I'd like to. Michael was my editor at GQ where we had 
infinite money, he would have sent me in a heartbeat. I think we should stop recording now and talk about who's the better editor. What do you think, Alan? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Throwdown. Just kidding. Michael and I, nothing but love. Okay. Well, that's rare for me to have that, to hear that from editors. <laughs> wow. Two cool editors at one time. That's tough to start the day. You made it through, Alan. You made it through. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you really soon. Okay. Bye, Uncle Alan. Uh, Michael, look, next time we get together, just for the sake of nostalgia, you, me, blue cheeseburgers. Okay, when you pass through New York in a couple weeks where we have air conditioning, we'll find a nice place and we'll tuck into a burger. Honestly, this conversation is making me feel way too old. We need to move on. Okay, well, speaking of restaurants and dining, it's a natural transition to our next guest, Bruce Bozzi, who hosts Table for Two, our other podcast here on Airmail, and he's here to tell us all about his show and what goes on there. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. Where are you joining us from today, Bruce? You're not tableside, so where are you right now? No, 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 no. I'm deep in Brooklyn by the river, sitting in a pickup truck. Is this a hostage situation? What's going on? <laughs> it is. I might need help, okay? <laughs> Have my GPS on my phone go. <laughs> There's a lot of alcohol across the street from me. This is a sort of a big trade show for booze and my alcohol Mujen, which is a Japanese shochu, super great, clean. We're hawking it. So I'm hustling a little bit on the other side of it, behind the bar. So I'm not at the table. Well, that's why we're here today. We're here today to talk about your recent addition to the airmail podcast plan to take over the world, which is your show, Table for Two, where, for those of you listening at home who haven't had the pleasure to listen to it yet, you've had fantastic guests, Tom Ford, John Bon Jovi, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Scarlett Johansson, among many others. And you sit down and have lunch or a meal with some pretty fantastic people, right? I do. I feel really fortunate that my belief that the connection over a meal is one of the most important and intimate connections that we have in life that goes back. And I get to invite people to sit with me and join me for lunch, which they do. So we eat, and when we're in LA, we tend to eat at the Sunset Tower and or New York via Corota, but the locations change, but the vibe doesn't. It's all about really connecting. And like, I don't know exactly everything we're going to talk about. I come prepped, I come prepared. Someone might be launching a TV show or something, but then inevitably we just talk as two people who care for each other. Okay. This week, you've got a wonderful guest, Rita Wilson, and I encourage everyone want to listen to it, you can get a sample of it on this week's issue of Airmail, but also go to iHeart Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or whatever else. But you tell me why you loved Rita, and I'll then tell you why I love this episode and what you discovered just talking to her. Anytime I've been around Rita, I've always felt a sense of fun, a woman who leans in, who's interested, and she's always been so open-armed. And when Rita and I ran into each other, and I don't know Rita very well, but I know her for some time and she was launching her album and I thought, oh, okay, well, this is a perfect opportunity because Rita's probably going to want to talk about her album. So let's have lunch. And actually, I saw her at a Dodger game, Michael. We were sitting next to each other and I was like, would you have lunch with me on table for two? She said, yes. And what I'm finding interesting is that people really are leaning into this and they want to sit down. And so what I found with Rita well, there were a couple of things. I'm so obsessed with California 1970s. Like, I think the vibe just, that was the magic moment. And she is, 
a child of the 70s. She was on all those shows that we all loved, Bosom Buddies, MASH, Three's Company. So I asked her about that, and she talks about going to her her first concert, which was a Led Zeppelin concert, where she fell flat on her face because her mother made her outfit for her, and she was wearing these big corgis. And on her face, we talked about Laurel Canyon, and she grew up knowing Melanie Griffith, and when she was dating Don Johnson, and this whole sort of fun thing that happened there at Don's house. And then I think that one of the things that I was surprised about, I talked about Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron really, it was clear that Nora knew how to write for Rita. And she shared that her husband was offered the role and when Harry met Sally that Billy Crystal did and said no because he had just gotten divorced and was a little bit nay on falling in love and didn't kind of believe in it at the time. And that was sort of a news break on table for two. Yeah, man, which blows my mind. So, so Tom Hanks turns down the role, which it's like learning that Ronald Reagan was considered for Casablanca. You're just like, what? You can't imagine it any other way. And yet I can't imagine Tom Hanks spitting grape seeds against the window of the car in New York. But yet he also would have killed it too, right? Completely. And I agree. When you find out certain roles were first asked of another person and that this person made the role iconic it is kind of wild you go oh i know all those stories of travolta hit so big in the 70s and then he turned down two movies that changed richard Gere's life officer and a gentleman and american general and you think like wow these decisions become like life altering for people but Rita was a joy well that's what the word that i said to her was you're just a joy that you were the definition of joy and Rita was so heartfelt because what she said to me was, and not to be morbid, but when it's time to leave and you kind of look at your life, what do you want to do that you can still do? And Rita said, I just want to be able to give joy and give joy to the people around her. And I was thought that was really beautiful and very open. And that's kind of the genesis of Table for Two. If you listen to the Anna Winter or Tom Ford, people are talking about very real things that have happened to them. But we don't go to a place, it's not salacious, and it's not about gotcha, it's about curiosity, and it's about generosity, and it's about food and drinks, it's about everything that I sort of know from my past and what people, like I said, what I think is the most important thing that we do together is break bread. I have an important question for you as a guy who's had to do a lot of interviews with people and they want to say, well, you know, so-and-so will meet you for lunch or so-and-so will meet you for dinner and you can do the interview with them then, right? And... I never eat when I'm interviewing people because I've got don't want food in my mouth. So do you have a go-to thing you order to make the conversation easier for yourself? Do you actually eat? What's your game plan for going into these things? Or are you just like, it's me, I'm going to eat with food in my mouth and I don't worry about it? <laughs> I think, well, you make a really great point. It's not easy and you don't want to be chomping into the microphone. I tend to order a piece of grilled chicken, a bit of a salad, and I eat very judiciously and I time it too, because I want the person to feel comfortable eating. So if they don't see me eat, they won't eat. So for instance, like when Anna and I had, Anna Winter and I had lunch, we had all this food in front of us and no one ate because there was just no time to break the conversation. And I think I was a little bit nervous sitting with Anna to sort of just start munching away. So what I realized, and I said, is during the course of the lunch, if I see someone's not eating, I'll say, you can eat. And some people get comfortable and they dig in and they like to eat. And some people eat loud. Some people eat not loud. And I tend to eat softly and usually never eat, finish my meal because of that reason. I think with Anna, you should have just reached over and taken that piece of steak with your hands <laughs> and gone full caveman and just be like, right. let's just do a family style. What are you so hung up about? <laughs> 
<laughs> she would have appreciated that. That's the kind of woman she is. She gets it. Yeah, just, just relax. Come on. We're just having a family right. meal here. Big end. Just big exactly. end. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I always, always tell people the worst thing you can eat at a meal, I remember you have a breakfast meeting with someone and eat a croissant where you've just got flakes falling out of your mouth and fouling your fingers. It just is certain foods, no fly zone when you're doing an interview. But who else can we look forward to that's coming down the road, Bruce? Great. I'm so excited. And I also think spaghetti. Is a no-no when you're trying to do a lunch interview, you're slurping and tomato sauce flying all over the place. Unless it's like you and Scarlett Johansson doing a Lady in the Tramp, then they'll be wide open. <laughs> and that could happen with Scarlett and I, just so you know. Who we have? We have Emily Blunt. She's going to be releasing movie Oppenheimer over the summer, so that will go live. We have John Hamm, Mindy Kaling is coming our way, Matthew Broderick. Sarah Jessica Parker, and just like that. And Patricia Clarkson, who I just worship and adore. And so, like, really, Eric Roth, the screenwriter, he's an icon in show business. So I feel like we really kind of have a great lineup ahead of us that will take us through the rest of the season. And hopefully then we'll go into season two and go bigger and better. I mean, we have people booked. I know the vice president and the second gentleman would like to do it. We've asked them and that would be very exciting to me. So yeah, those are the people coming up. Well, wonderful. It's an exciting show. It's Table for Two with Bruce Bozzi. And we here on Airmail are big fans. I know all of us at Airmail are big fans. And we here at Morning Meeting are big fans. And we just want to encourage all our listeners to download it wherever you can. iHeart Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. So Bruce, is there anything else they should know about the show that you'd like to tell them? I just want to thank you for saying that. And it means a lot to me. And uh, I'm appreciative of everyone who listens and always amazed at the people that come up to me and acknowledge the show and say, wow, I love your show. I mean, and literally happens a bunch. I just would like people to certainly like listen and enjoy it. And it's meant to sort of really feel like you're pulling up a chair and you're joining us for lunch. And I always say, grab a glass of rosé or bring lunch and sit back and just enjoy it because it's meant to be really, truly romantic and easy. Yeah, I would say it's intimate, it's inspiring, there's a lot of intelligence in it, and best of all, Bruce picks up the check, you don't have to worry <laughs> about paying for anything. Exactly. It's the best afternoon meal you can have with a couple of really great people. It's on me, it's on Bozzy, anytime. <laughs> Just send the check over there, he's got it, thank you very much. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, Bruce, thank you so much for making time with us today and I appreciate for sharing it. your enthusiasm for Table for Two. And we look forward to talking to you with you again. Thank you. And thank you for having me be part of the Airmail family. It's really a big, means a big deal to me. Thank you. Okay. You have a okay. great day. And I hope you get out of that hostage situation in Brooklyn. And <laughs> if not, just send up a flare. <laughs> you got it. Okay. Have a great care. one. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Is there a term, Michael, for when multiple podcasters get together to podcast? Podcast E? What is that called? Podcasters in a pod? I don't know. Anyway, who cares? Lots to listen to this weekend. Listen to the morning meeting. Listen to Bruce. Michael, it is the weekend. And while I wish that you and I could be eating nudie and cheeseburgers together in the hot, hot sun, instead, we are going to recommend some cultural things. What do you have? Well, I've got some, yeah, I was thinking about it today. If you're a fan of sports, you saw the Denver Nuggets claim the NBA championship this week. And maybe you're having a little bit of NBA withdrawal. I have the perfect solution as well as a very good fix of late 80s nostalgia. Ashley, have you seen the movie Air? Oh my gosh, yes. Tell us. Let's discuss. Okay, I can't believe I'm saying this about a movie that's essentially about a shoe, but Air, I think it's pretty great. 
stars, for those of you at home, it stars Ben Affleck as Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, and Matt Damon as a guy named Sonny Vaccaro, who is the Nike executive who convinces a rookie, Michael Jordan, to sign with the then-struggling shoe company. It's directed by Affleck. I think it's a crazy, fast-paced movie, one part inside story and a bit of a screwball comedy. I love Viola Davis as Jordan's mother and Chris Messina, who kills it as David Falk. I mentioned last week how I want to see a reboot of Entourage, but if you're missing that, his performance as Falk is pretty great. Did you love it, Ashley? Did you love it as much as I did? I have to say, Michael, I loved it. And it's not because I love sports. And it also isn't because I love fashion, which I do. But I felt like it, just the way of telling this story was so fascinating because this is a moment, whether you like or loathe Nike, there is a certain mythology around the company that has impacted our culture at large. And I think this movie really gets at the heart of that. Yeah, it's terrific. It'll fill that gap for you between the end of the NBA season and summer movie season. If the movie is called Air and you can catch it on Amazon Prime Video now. And you, Ashley, what do you have, my dear? is theater related. Those who are coming to London this summer must see Dear England. It's an incredible new play by James Graham that's at the National Theater. You might know James Graham from some of his previous plays. He did Best of Enemies and Sherwood. In this one, he is tackling the world of English football, the players, the game, and the nation that supports and loves it. Uh, This is an incredible play. It uh, It follows the English national team over the course of a six-year journey that culminates at the World Cup in 2022, uh, Joseph Fiennes stars as Gareth Southgate, who is the team manager. They look incredibly similar. They behave incredibly similarly. It was really well acted. Another great set from S. Devlin, who's doing all the best sets these days in London. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this. The whole audience was applauding and shouting and dancing. And it was kind of like the Ted Lasso of theater. So I highly recommend it, especially if you have children who love football and you'd like for them to love theater. Highly recommend it for that as well. It is called Dear England, a new play by James Graham, and it's playing at the National Theater. All right. Well, we wish you all a wonderful, relaxing, hot and sweaty weekend. Michael, will you please read us out? Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Al Sanders Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan. And our deputy editors are Ashley Baker, Chris Garrett, Nathan King, Julie Vitale, and Ash Carter. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. The theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe at Spotify or Apple Music. But most of all, thank you again for joining us.